Hello and welcome to Valley West Cinemas. I'm your host Aaron and this is the podcast where we take a group of related films and eliminate all but three. I have my list and my red pen ready because today we're discussing the films of 1999. So why 1999? To me, 1999 is one of those years, kind of like 1982 or 2008, where there's such a wide variety of good movies, strange movies, complete misses, and some films that actually had an impact on how films were made, released, and how awards were given out. In 99, you had things like Episode 1, you had The Matrix, you had Toy Story 2 and Galaxy Quest. It was a real turning point for special effects. It was also the tail end of the big independent film boom of the 1990s. You see some of these movies trying and failing to sort of maintain that magic. And to me, it was an all-around interesting year. For today's episode, we're not doing the entirety of the films released in 1999. (laughs) The list is is really long. So what I've done is I've taken my list of mostly alphabetical films, and I'm taking the last page, and we're doing that today. So this is not all-encompassing for 1999, but it is a pretty sizable piece. All right, here we go. These are the films we'll be discussing today. Ravenous, Romance X, Runaway Bride, She's All That, Shower, Simpatico, Simply Irresistible, The Sixth Sense, Sleepy Hollow, Snow Falling on Cedars, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, Star Wars Episode One, The Phantom Menace, Stigmata, Stir of Echoes, The Story of Us, The Straight Story, Stuart Little, Summer of Sam, Superstar, Sweet and Low Down, Talented Mr. Ripley, Tarzan, Teaching Mrs. Tingle, The Thirteenth Floor, Thomas Crown Affair, Three Kings, Titus, Topsy Turvy, Toy Story 2, True Crime, Twin Falls, Idaho, Tumbleweeds, Two Girls and a Guy, Varsity Blues, Virgin Suicides, Virus, A Walk on the Moon, War Zone, Wild Wild West, Wing Commander, The Wood, and the world is not enough. Whew! <laughs> that was a lot of movies. It's probably pretty likely that there are some of those in there that you have not heard of or remember. Some movies are forgotten with time. I'll do my best to remind you as we eliminate them. Some do stand out as pretty obvious. There are some in here that are not exactly... Well, they're not good. Let's just, let's just say it. They're not good. The first one I'm crossing off right off the bat is Virus. Virus started off as a bit of a big deal in horror and sci-fi circles when the trailers and the reporting was coming out about the film because it's produced by the same people who did Terminator 2 and Aliens and Jamie Lee Curtis is in it and she had just come off of the success of Halloween H2O and it had a pretty cool concept. Tugboat salvage crew finds an abandoned vessel and it turns out that there's like a alien thing that beamed down onto the ship and is reassembling itself with the human body parts and the metal of the ship and The creature designs are kind of cool if you like big robot monster things. It's neat looking, but man, the movie is trash. It is not good. It is a bad film. Some of the horror and sci-fi movies of the 80s and 90s that were bombs or hated at the time do kind of come back around later. They are reevaluated. They can become super cult classics or just simply beloved like The Thing. And even ones that were not great and maybe not necessarily are great now either, like Supernova, still find a new audience. They still find people who like them in some form or another. Virus is not one of those. (laughs) It is not good. Another dumpster fire I'm going to cross off is Wild Wild West. There are probably some people out there who like this movie, especially if you were particularly young when it came out or if you saw it as a very small child. But that movie is completely miscast. Even as a movie of the TV show, they don't quite get the relationships of the characters right. I am not a fan of movies that puts the heroes at odds with each other. I understand what is essentially the buddy cop formula. You get two opposite characters and you pair them together and then hijinks ensue. I get it, but they don't have to be at odds the whole time. That's not that entertaining. Or even a more recent comedy like The Other Guys. Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg are opposites, and it's funny watching their opposite personalities sort of bounce off each other, but they're not at odds with each other. That's, that's, that's the key detail, I think, in some of these successes. 
And yes, of course, this is not an absolute. It can sometimes work. But Wild Wild West is just a failure completely. Trying to take the Barry Sonnenfeld Men in Black formula and plug it into Wild Wild West, it just doesn't work. It's not a good movie. I don't even have a nostalgic love for it. It's not one of those things where you look back and say, well, I liked it as a kid. I know it's dumb, but I liked it as a kid, so I kind of still like it now. No, Wild Wild West is still bad. I'm crossing off Wing Commander. It's based on a video game. 20 plus years later, they still haven't figured out how to make a good video game movie. I hope to have a whole episode about video game movies later down the line, but Wing Commander is one of the bad ones. I guess I should say one of the many bad ones, but (laughs) I think you get what I mean. I'm crossing off The World is Not Enough. I will touch on the Pierce Brosnan James Bond movies later. That one, you know what? It's not hated. It's kind of been forgotten because Die Another Day was so much worse. (laughs) It was so much worse. But The World is Not Enough is pretty much only remembered for Denise Richards playing a character named Christmas Jones, Dr. Christmas Jones. On its own, it's not terrible. It's not as boring as Tomorrow Never Dies. It's definitely nowhere near as good as Goldeneye. Having a poor villain and even a sympathetic villain I don't think helps him in this case. I'm a little curious to see what people would think now. Like, say say if you haven't seen The World Is Not Enough, if you were to watch it now, I'm curious to see what your reaction would be. For me, I do actually kind of like it. I'm a bit of a James Bond apologist. I love James Bond. I'm a huge fan of that franchise. And I do like World Is Not Enough, but I definitely can acknowledge that it's not that good. All right, let's change gears and talk about a good movie, Sweet and Lowdown. The elephant in the room that we need to discuss is, of course, that Sweet and Lowdown is a Woody Allen movie. And as I've said before, I do try to separate the man from the art, but there's no getting around what it is. It's a Woody Allen movie. One saving grace is that he's not in it. I think he narrates it, if I I remember correctly. The main actor in the movie is Sean Penn, and it's a pseudo-fictional biographical film about a guitar player in the early 1900s. And the music is great. Sean Penn plays this sort of innocent, naive character. And he falls in love with a mute Samantha Morton, who was nominated for an Oscar for a mute performance. So that's kind of interesting. The movie is so charming. And Sean Penn is so, (laughs) so funny in this movie. I mean, it is a comedy for sure. So even if you have a bit of a sensitivity towards Woody Allen or anything that he has made, I do recommend Sweet and Low Down. It is a good movie. I am crossing it off, though, not because it's Woody Allen, but because there are a few other movies that are worth keeping more than Sweet and Low Down. It is a good movie. If you want to watch a simple, cute, charming musical comedy, not musical in the sense that they sing, but there's a lot of lot of instrumental in it, I recommend it. I recommend Sweet and Low Down. Teaching Mrs. Tingle was interesting in that it was Kevin Williamson's first attempt at directing a feature. He is the writer of Scream and creator of Dawson's Creek. The movie was originally called Killing Mrs. Tingle, but then Columbine happened, and so they didn't want to put killing in the title. I don't think that makes a difference. It doesn't really change the quality of the film. Even as a time capsule for 90s culture, it's not really worth watching. The only really interesting thing at all about teaching Mrs. Tingle is that Helen Mirren is in it, and watching her chew the scenery is pretty fun because it's Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren is always great. I mean, she could be in a Pepsi commercial and she'd be fantastic. The movie's just who cares. There's, there's no reason to ever watch it. I'm crossing off Disney's Tarzan. Tarzan is one of those movies where it was a very big hit and then people sort of started to reject it a little bit later. I'm not sure why. I think the Phil Collins music was overplayed. Trey Parker, when he was nominated for an Oscar for a song from South Park and he lost to Phil Collins for Tarzan, he made the joke that one day his grandkids are going to hate him because he lost lost to Phil Collins. As it stands, Tarzan is pretty good. I don't love it. 
It was really at the end of Disney hand-drawn animation. And realistically, a lot of it was done in a computer anyway. At least the coloring was. But as far as 2D animated features, it was one of the last ones. I would watch Tarzan again, but there's nothing in it that I particularly love. There's nothing that grabs me or that I latch onto as an element that I want to revisit. It's fine. It's fine. But if we're talking about even just 90s era Disney, I'd rather watch Hercules or Hunchback or Lion King or Aladdin or Beauty and the Beast. I mean, there's so much of this era that's better than Tarzan. That does say a lot, though, about the quality of Disney animation, though, in that Tarzan, again, is not bad. It's just not as good as most of their output of that decade. Even even a goofy movie, even a goofy movie is a better film. I'm crossing off the story of Us. It's a failure of a romantic comedy. It's Rob Reiner. It does not have that When Harry Met Sally magic. There's not. There's really not much to talk about. Bruce Willis, Michelle Pfeiffer. Uh, who cares? The next two are horror movies. I'm going to cross off Stigmata and Stir of Echoes. Both of them have things to like. So if you like horror movies, there are things to enjoy in both of these. Stigmata is a little dumb. That same year, we had End of Days with Arnold Schwarzenegger. We had Kevin Smith's Dogma. It was a strange year, maybe because the year 2000 was coming up and the new millennium. We have at least three theatrical films that were all about religion and the end of days. Stigmata is easier to watch than End of Days. End of Days with Arnold Schwarzenegger is not that great. Gabriel Byrne is great in it, but Gabriel Byrne is also in Stigmata. If you need a religious horror movie to watch, and I know those have kind of come back around and became really popular in the 2010s, it'll probably scratch that horror itch if you're looking for that. Overall, I would not really say it's any good. You can do worse, like Virus. (laughs) Virus is a lot worse. Stir of Echoes, on the other hand, is really good. It's written and directed by David Kep. I'm not a huge fan of David Kep. I used to make the joke that everything he does is boring. There is a strong argument to be made for that. If you look at his filmography, a lot of the scripts he's touched, a lot of the films he's directed, always sort of skirt that line of about 60% quality. Like, they're not bad, but they're never really that good. He's always riding that line of, of maybe good enough. Nothing too terrible, but nothing great. And Stir of Echoes is one of his better ones. It helps that Kevin Bacon is in it because Kevin Bacon is awesome. What I do appreciate about Stir of Echoes is it's not super heavy in the jump scares. It has some really good ones, but it's really more about the buildup and the mystery. It's not about cheap horror scares. So it might be a little slower to you if you're looking for that, but if you really want a sort of buildup of tension and suspense leading to your ghostly reveals, then Stir of Echoes is definitely recommended. Probably... uh, a B minus, which is which is which is the highest on the David Kep scale, aside from maybe you know he co-wrote the script with Michael Crichton uh, for Jurassic Park, and I'm going to give Crichton credit for that one more so than David Kep. There's probably not a lot else to say about Star Wars Episode One. It's not worth keeping. I'm not keeping it on here. Snow Falling on Cedars is an Ethan Hawke movie. I think it's a bit of busted Oscar bait. I don't think it really accomplishes anything. The movie is just a bummer. Speaking of bummer, uh, we need to talk about The War Zone, which I am willing to bet not a lot of people have heard of. War Zone is one of the only films directed by actor Tim Roth. It's a rough, rough, <laughs> sad movie. It is not an easy movie to watch. I don't know why he wanted to tell this story. The movie is, is mostly noteworthy for giving us Ray Winstone and Tilda Swinton. It's about a family. Oh, man, I don't even know how to say this without sounding really awful. Um... It's about an inappropriate relationship between a father and a daughter and the impact that that has on their family. It is a wildly unhappy film with one of those shocking bummer endings 
that just makes you want to sit outside and calm yourself down for 20 minutes in the sun. I don't know that anyone would ever want to revisit that film. The acting is good. It's a well-made movie. I just don't want to go back to. I don't want to I don't want to watch that again. You will not be uplifted by this film. That's for sure. I'm crossing off A Walk on the Moon. Diane Lane has done so many romantic movies, whether comedy or drama, that there's no reason to recommend A Walk on the Moon. I would suggest Unfaithful or Under the Tuscan Sun, Knights and Rodanthe? She did a Richard Gere movie that was based on a Nicholas Sparks book, Rodanthe? Ah, how do you say that? Either way, I don't care. (laughs) I'd recommend any of those before I recommend A Walk on the Moon. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. She is great in just about anything. There are better, more interesting films with her than this one. I'm crossing off Two Girls and a Guy. It's one of those indie films that was trying to ride the big independent film wave from Pulp Fiction and Fargo and all that. That was really strong in the 90s. It has Robert Downey Jr. back when he was you know, still getting drunk and breaking into people's houses. It's really, really pretentious. Also crossing off Simpatico, sort of like a horse racing, blackmail, who cares thing. It's not good. One of the laughably worst movies I've ever seen. So bad that it's not even funny. It's not one of those so bad it's good. It's just absolutely terrible. I could not believe what I was seeing. It's called Simply Irresistible. Has Sarah Michelle Gellar as a magic cook or her tears or magic or her emotions. Something like that. Like like she cooks and whatever emotion she's feeling goes into the food and she becomes this, this successful chef. It's terrible. There's like an animatronic crab. I don't remember if it talks. I don't think it talks. It's baffling. Do not watch Simply Irresistible. The next two I'm crossing off are Titus and Topsy Turvy. Titus is with Anthony Hopkins. It's a movie of the Shakespeare play. There are other much better adaptations of Shakespeare. There's no really no reason to go back to Titus. Topsy Turvy is excellent. It's a good movie. It's by Mike Lee. And if you're familiar with his filmography, you know what you're getting into. His movies are known for being highly improvised. So he will come up with sketches of these characters and what they're feeling and what he wants from a scene. And the actors make it up. They make it up as they go. And it works great for the family dramas he's done. Secrets and Lies is a beautiful film. I love Secrets and Lies. And I don't think the improvisational style fits topsy-turvy. I think I needed something with more of a shape to it, a stronger edit, a more fleshed out and designed storyline, I think would have helped. It is a treat just to watch this world come alive, that's for sure. It's like going back to a playhouse of the days of old and just seeing people create and performers on stage. It's a fascinating watch. There's not a lot of movie, like put that in air quotes, there's not a lot of movie to it. It's more like living through this experience at this time, which is amazing in its own right. It did deserve the awards and the attention that it received. But for me, I just can't go back to it. And there are already other Mike Lee movies that I would rather see again before going back to Topsy Turvy. The next one is True Crime, directed by Clint Eastwood. And as this podcast goes on, you'll probably often hear me say that Clint Eastwood makes boring movies. True Crime is a boring movie. There's a reason why when people talk about Clint Eastwood, no one brings up True Crime. So the next one is a little interesting. It's a French film called Romance X, or just Romance, depending on where you see it. But it's worth discussing because it was one of the few either unrated or NC-17 movies to get a release in the United States that had truly explicit content. The main actress in the film was known in France at the time. She wasn't super famous. It was almost like, say, an actress on a TV show that just became popular. And so she was known, but not super famous, not yet. 
but it was still a big deal for her to take this role because in this film, there are a lot of sex scenes that are real. You see it. It's explicit. So for a known actress who's not in the pornographic industry to take a role of this type was shocking. I mean, the French are more accepting of it than we are in the United States. We're a little puritanical when it comes to, to sexual content in our films. As it is, the film is not that good. It's a bit of a bummer, actually. But there is something about actors putting themselves on display like this and trying to make a real drama of it. I'm crossing off She's All That. It was a huge hit when it came out. If you adjust for inflation, the amount of money She's All That made, I think it would be $150, $160 million in today's money, which would be an insane amount. Like If a movie like She's All That came out today and made $160 million, it really, really struck a chord. I liked it when it came out. I have not seen the sort of sequel, sort of remake on Netflix. I don't think She's All That is going to be uh, a film worth keeping ultimately when it comes down to what's left on this list. Along those same lines is Runaway Bride, one of two Julia Roberts movies that came out that year that were both hits, the other being Notting Hill. I love the chemistry between Richard Gere and Julia Roberts. Her character is a little despicable, really, I mean, ultimately when it comes down to it. Like, if you're going to end a relationship, eh, don't wait until the altar to do it. But it's cute. I like the two of them together. It's not an award-winning film for good reason. It's fluff, and sometimes that's okay. But I'm crossing it off. As much as I love Ravenous, I can't really keep it. <laughs> it's not one of those movies that you can really defend as, as good, but there's a lot to like there. That movie has an edge, a boldness that not a lot of films even today have. It's about cannibals in the Civil War era. It's a mean, fun, sarcastic, brutal film. The only problem I have with Ravenous at all is the score. It has this really bouncy musical score that I think ruins pretty much every bit of suspense you could get. It's ruinous. That music is terrible. It's a mean, fun little film, but just too bad about that dang music. Stuart Little was cute. Surprisingly, it was written by M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> what a twist. But when it comes to quality kids' movies, we already have Toy Story 2 on this list. Stuart Little does not live up to that. Summer of Sam, to me, is one of Spike Lee's weakest movies. I've said it before in other episodes, I am a Spike Lee fan. Unfortunately, the movies of his that keep coming up in the episodes so far are the ones that are not that good. I do not like Summer of Sam. I like the idea of what he was trying to do. He was trying to take the era of a serial killer and show the impact that that has on the neighborhood where these killings were taking place or near where these killings were taking place. But ultimately, I didn't care about any of these people. And so I didn't really care about the heat and the stress of the situation and how it broke down their lives and their relationships. Tumbleweeds was a super cute movie. It got a lot of awards attention. It's not really remembered now. It's about a woman and her daughter who jump from town to town, never wanting to stay in one place, and eventually they do end up somewhere where they form connections. It's a very nice movie, and it gave us Janet McTeer, and the little girl in it uh, went on to do the Halloween Town movies for, uh, for the Disney Channel. And I know those have a lot of fans. If you want to watch a nice mother and daughter movie that's not about conflict, I do recommend Tumbleweeds, but I'm crossing it off. The next movie I'm sure very nearly no one listening has heard of. It's called Shower. It's a Chinese film. It's about an overworked businessman who goes to visit his father and mentally challenged brother who run a public bath in China. And eventually he starts to discover what it means to have this community and to take care of his family. And maybe he might have to change his life and take over this shower business. It's a great film. I love Shower. Uh, would I keep it though? I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no to keeping Shower. I'm very hesitant. I think it's very close, but just looking at what else is here, I, I'm not going to keep it. 
For the next one, I do have to kill a darling. I'm crossing off the virgin suicides. I know that Sofia Coppola has at least had a lot of respect in the independent film community. Lost in Translation was excellent. I love that movie. Virgin Suicides has a lot of love. It was acclaimed when it came out. It was a relative hit. And I understand that this movie probably does connect with a lot of people. It deals with some significant issues about growing up and family. Public opinion and acclaim almost sways me to keep it just because I know that I'm probably the one person that doesn't like it, but I'm crossing it off. One that's a little easier to cross off though is Varsity Blues. I know everyone does the I don't want your life quote (laughs) from the movie. It's enjoyable. Some parts have not aged particularly well in the years since it came out. It's an enjoyable enough sports drama. I am crossing off Tim Burton's Sleepy Hollow. I like Johnny Depp in it. It was before Johnny Depp became, well, the Johnny Depp as we know him today. So his performance of that was still kind of unique. He says he based it on Angela Lansbury. I can kind of see it. The movie overcomplicates the story, the mystery of The Headless Horseman. The style is fantastic. The art design, set design is fantastic. An amazing, huge cast. It's not a bad film. I do not dislike Sleepy Hollow. It's just not one of the surviving three films. I am crossing off Superstar. (laughs) It's one of the better Saturday Night Live movies. It's pretty funny. It's silly in just the right ways. It does not overstay its welcome. The next one is a little difficult for me because I am a big David Lynch fan, but I am crossing off The Straight Story. It's definitely the most normal movie David Lynch has ever made. So if you've seen Mulholland Drive, Twin Peaks, Wild at Heart, Blue Velvet, David Lynch makes unusual things. But The Straight Story is a G-rated live-action movie about a senior citizen driving a lawnmower 240 miles to visit his brother. And it's based on a true story. It's a sweet, nice movie. It is the absolute most un-David Lynch thing that he has ever made. It's probably, if I had to compare it to other movies, maybe Nebraska or Paris, Texas are other films that are relatively similar in style. All right, just to take stock of what's left, there's The Wood. The Sixth Sense, South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut, The Talented Mr. Ripley, 13th Floor, Thomas Crown Affair, Three Kings, Toy Story 2, and Twin Falls, Idaho. I'm going to cross off South Park. I love the movie. We'll probably dive into it a little more when Tara and I do another animated movies episode. I very much like the movie. It's still funny. Even today, it still makes me laugh. Even with, you know, 20 plus years of new episodes, the movie still makes me laugh. As much as I don't want to cross it off, I am going to cross off The 13th Floor. The 13th floor has sort of been lost to time, uh, mostly probably because of the success of The Matrix. So both Dark City, which came out before The Matrix, and The 13th floor, which came out after, all deal with the sort of same themes of the fictional world being tricked, what is reality. And it's a shame because The 13th floor is excellent. There are some poor casting choices, but I genuinely enjoy The 13th floor. I wish it was more well-known, but having a movie so similar to The Matrix come out the same year, I can see why it's kind of been forgotten, especially because it doesn't have any of the really cool action scenes. It's more just about the science fiction and the mystery. And I do suggest you go on blind, so don't look it up, don't watch the trailer. If you can, just seek it out and give it a try. It's a good movie. I like it quite a lot. We're really getting down to some tough choices here. Uh, This is not easy. As much as I love the talented Mr. Ripley, I think I'm going to cross it off. I'm hesitant, and actually, when I went into this, when I started this episode, I fully intended to keep The Talented Mr. Ripley, because I love that movie. I think it's great. It gave us Jude Law. It made him famous. Gwyneth Paltrow is fantastic in it. And, of course, Matt Damon. If there's anything to say against The Talented Mr. Ripley, it's that it's kind of 
As mentioned with some of these other movies, it's kind of lost to time. No one really talks about it. It's not revered. It's not on Criterion Collection. There aren't any modern filmmakers talking about how it influenced them. It was a success, and it's just sort of gone away, which is a shame. Matt Damon has done a lot of other roles, but I can't think of any other movies where he had a chance to really play vulnerable, other than his small part in, uh, what was that war movie? Courage Under Fire. Yeah. So he has a small part in that, but to really see him play this character who is uncomfortable in their own skin, who doesn't even know how to be himself. He doesn't even know who he is. He's too busy pretending to be other people to watch him go through those motions. It's fascinating. It's a good movie. The next two I'm going to pair together, The Thomas Crown Affair and Three Kings. Man, I I really like both of those. (laughs) Thomas Crown Affair has held up very well. If you want to watch Pierce Brosnan not be in a silly Bond movie and actually watch him be charming and charismatic and play this art thief who toys with the investigators that are after him, it's so entertaining. It's such a slick, smart movie. If you watched Ocean's Eleven and you think that that movie is cool and just get a good feeling from it, The Thomas Crown Affair is kind of similar to that. It just feels cool. Three Kings, on the other hand, has a sarcasm and grittiness and message to it that kind of upsets you, but they really lay it on with the comedy in order to sort of help that bitter pill go down. Three Kings, even though it in itself was already a bit of a period piece, it was about the first Gulf War. That one maybe hasn't aged quite as well. Man, between those two, I don't know. I'll hang on to both of those for now. I'm keeping Toy Story 2. I'll just say it right now. That's one of those three. Toy Story 2 is better than the original. It was nominated for Best Picture at the Globes for good reason. It was one of the first animated films to ever get that nomination after Beauty and the Beast, which was a full eight years earlier. Toy Story 2 is hilarious. The characters grow in exactly the right way. It introduces Jesse and Stinky Pete and Bullseye. And as discussed in the episode with Tara, just because a movie is animated and aimed for kids, that doesn't mean that it's only for kids. Toy Story 2 is a good movie, period. Doesn't matter how old you are. One of the best sequels of all time. When people talk about sequels that are better than the original, it's always Aliens and Godfather 2. Those are the ones that always come up. And I suggest Toy Story 2 should be included in that as well. It's that good. It really is. Twin Falls, Idaho. That's also one of those movies that you've probably never heard of. It's about conjoined twins and one of them falls in love with a woman and it's about how that impacts their relationship. How does one of them have a relationship with a woman? How does one of them fall in love when you're connected to this other person your entire life? Literally connected to this other person. It's a drama. It doesn't play it for laughs. This is not that Matt Damon, Greg Kinnear movie by the Farrelly brothers uh, stuck on you. This is a real drama It's about real human emotions, and it's a great movie. I do wish this movie would be rediscovered. It's one of those films that, at the time, it made a splash, and then nothing. Ah, do I want to cross it off? So if I were to look at it between Thomas Crown Affair, Three Kings, and Twin Falls, Idaho, I would cross off Three Kings, unfortunately. I like it. I like it a lot. George Clooney is great in Three Kings. Between those three, the first one to go would be Three Kings. So holding on to those other two for now, then, I still have Sixth Sense and The Wood. I'm tempted to keep the wood. In recent years, movies like The Best Man, Menace to Society, and Love and Basketball have all been reevaluated. But The Wood, I think, is the better film. It's about a group of friends who reminisce about their childhood on on one of their wedding days. It's a solid comedy drama, has that coming-of-age element, and also shows the effects of childhood on adults and their friendship. The Wood is great. It's a great movie. I don't know that I can say that it's better than The Sixth Sense, though. There will be a Shyamalan episode soon, 
and that's definitely one of his best, so you can probably <laughs> you can probably expect that result. But in this regard, though, would I keep the sixth sense over the wood? Probably. But then would I keep the wood over Thomas Crown Affair or Twin Falls, Idaho? I don't want to criticize Thomas Crown Affair for being too popcorn. That's not a fair criticism. The movie succeeds in almost every way. I, I have no complaints about the Thomas Crown Affair. Ah, uh, as much as I hate to do it, I'm going to cross it off. I'm going to cross off the Thomas Crown Affair. So that leaves me with four. Hmm. All right. So what I'm going to do is a bit of a cheat. Okay. So because I know that there's a Shyamalan episode coming and probably eventually a Bruce Willis episode coming, and I know that the Sixth Sense will more than likely survive those, for now, even though if you were to ask me point blank yes or no, is the Sixth Sense a better movie? I'd probably say yes. For this episode, for this list, I'm going to cross off the Sixth Sense. I've rewatched it twice in like the last two years. It's still good. It still holds up. It's not one of those movies like Forrest Gump where you can kind of look back and say, okay, maybe there's a problem here, even though I do love Forrest Gump. Sixth Sense is still solid. It still holds up. I'm going to go ahead and cross it off knowing that it will have its own success in at least one, if not two, probably future episodes. And so, now playing this week at Valley West Cinemas are Toy Story 2, Twin Falls, Idaho, and The Wood. What do you think? Let us know on Twitter at VWestCinemas. Please rate and review wherever you listen to this podcast. It helps us a bunch. And of course, if you would like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron. Thank you for listening.